Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 104 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We are so excited to be together today. We're still together at a distance. Yes. Hopefully that'll change at some point soon. We want to start off right away with an announcement about our 14th read-along. Yes. So we've done two others this year already in, in translation. We're focusing on books and translation this year. So our first one was in Poland with Drive Your Drive. Plow Over the Bones of the Dead um, by Tukarczuk. And the l- most recent one was Go Went Gone by Jenny Urbanbeck, uh, set in Germany. And for our next one, we are heading to Asia. Right. Japan, well, Japan specifically. specifically. We'll be reading The Convenience Store Woman. This is a Japanese novella, so it's a little short book written by Sayaka Murata, translated by Ginny Tapley Takamori, and we're really excited about this. This book's got a lot of press when it came out. It was very popular in Japan as well, and it's about Kiko, a woman who works at a convenience store, and she feels like she really only fits in to life when she's at work. I'm very curious to read about it. Yeah, I am too. And the author actually works at a convenience store. So, you know, that's another thing that drew me to it too, is the, her lived experience as a worker in a convenience store. And yeah, I can't wait to read it. And I mean, of course, you know me, I'm hoping there's some interesting food things in it as well. (laughs) Lots of interesting food at convenience stores. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we'll be talking about it on episode 108, which will drop on August 4th. So get your questions and comments to us on July 31st mm-hmm. or on or before, on I should before. say. That'll be the day we'll be recording that episode. So you can leave comments on Goodreads or any of our social media platforms or email us directly at bookcougars at gmail.com. So we will be having another Zoom conversation about that in late July. We haven't set the date yet, but we will as time gets closer. And if you want to kind of hear about these things, sometimes, usually a little bit sooner than when the podcast airs, please do subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that through our website, bookcougars.com. We only send out one newsletter a month or maybe on occasion if there's some special announcement. But um, we will definitely be announcing with the July newsletter when the virtual read-along will be. Yes. Right on. I'm very excited about that book. Yeah, I am too. So, Emily, what are you currently reading? I am reading a book that one of our listeners recommended to me. I am so sorry, listener, because I can't find which platform was used to alert me to this book, but I'm so glad you did it. It's called Eat Joy, Stories and Comfort Food from 31 Celebrated Writers, Hmm. edited by Natalie Eve Garrett. It is so good. And it's really, you know, I kind of made this goal for myself at the beginning of the year to start reading more stories from my multiple, multiple short story collections that I have around the house. And I'm failing miserably at that. But for some reason, this one is working for me. And probably because it's about food. Yeah. It's um, It has tons of high, heavy hitter authors involved with it. I'm about four or five stories in. The story I read last night was called Homesick. 
at the outer edge of the world by the author Anthony Doerr. And he's the author of All the Light We Cannot See, Mm -hmm. which won a Pulitzer Prize. So the man knows how to write. Uh, And this was about, I mean, the rest Oh, the way I should say that they write a little short story and then there's a recipe for the food that they're talking about or the specific, you know, item of their childhood that their parent made or something. But in this particular story, it's about boxed brownie mix which I thought was hilarious (laughs) (laughs) on so many levels. But really it's about, he he talks about when he was 15 and his parents helped him sneak into a camp that you, the minimum age was 16. And it was like this incredible wilderness camp out in Alaska that he kind of, he didn't use the term regret, but it definitely (laughs) was an experience that he will never forget. And he talks about them, you know, making boxed brownie mix or not making it very successfully. (laughs) And then he totally weaves that into now raising his teenage boys and what brownie mix has meant for him as a father um, with his children. It was a fantastic story. So if you like food and you like short stories, I highly recommend this book. Again, it's called Eat Joy, Stories and Comfort Food from 31 Celebrated Writers. That sounds great. I re- now I want brownies. Yeah, me too. I no. thought the exact same thing. <laughs> you know, there are some foods that like as soon as you say the word, like pizza is one for me. Like I have to have it then. Like you just yeah. can't say yeah. it and then nothing yeah. happened. Like I have to have it. No, with brownies, this is probably going to go a little too far. Like when I was reading the story, I could actually like taste and feel brownie in my mouth. (laughs) Brownies are so delicious. I agree. (laughs) What are you Uh, reading? Well, I'm reading a novel called Empire of Wild. It's by Sherry Dimeline. And she's a Canadian Aboriginal writer. This novel is coming out in July. It's fantastic. It is about this woman whose husband goes missing. She's of the Matisse people, one of the First Nations. And, you know, her husband's a really reliable guy. They have a great marriage. They happen to have an argument one night. He storms out and he never comes back. And there's the tradition of the Rogaru, who are these werewolf-like creatures that kind of haunt the highways and forests up in Canada. And they tend to go after people who've done something wrong, or at least that's what the elders kind of put the, use them as a way to keep youngsters kind of in line or safe, you know. It's a fascinating read. It just has such good energy. And I'm, I was immediately drawn in um, by the voice of the main character, Joan. This is, Demoline's second novel um her first one was called the marrow thieves and i hadn't heard of it i don't know if you have emily but it was on the bestseller list for over a hundred weeks it won a kirkus young adult award but that's pretty amazing to think of a book being on the bestseller list for over a hundred weeks and i think empire of wild is going to have a really good uh readership because you know, I've been having a hard time finding a novel that will stick. This last Me week's too. been really tough reading, um, just with everything going on in our country. And I picked this one up. 
couldn't put it down. But that's an adult book, right? This, yes, no. this is an adult novel, Empire yeah. of Wild. It is uh, has a lot of sex. Not like graph, well, maybe a little bit, you know, um, but it, yeah, it, it does have sex. It does have the F word in it. So um, <laughs> thinking about our last conversation with Emma Viskitch, yeah. um, just about how some people react to the F word yeah, or swears yeah. in books. Yes. Um, don't let that turn you off. But if it does, this won't be the book for you. It really made me think in some ways about early Stephen King novels kind of like a rock and roll vibe. I can see why that'd be grabbing you right now because I too, you and I both were kind of verklempt last week about, I think we both started about five books and just couldn't get into anything. So that makes sense that this one would grab you. Right. You know, it also makes me think just thinking about YA, like it, listeners might want to check out that YA novel. It sounds like it's was pretty good if it was on the bestseller list for so long. Yeah, The Marrow I, Thieves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes that YA is really a good place to go if you're having trouble getting your mind wrapped around a book as well. Yeah, I, I, I was watched a, a quick video with the author, um, on part of the Why I Write series on YouTube. And she talks about like the difference of between writing YA and adult. And, you know, for YA, she said, you know, you you write from where young people are. So it's very emotional, you know, it's either the best day or the worst day. And so the emotions are very, very top there. And with adults, she said, you know, one of the things is she can write about sex. Right. You know, and sex is very, she wants to write about strong women, empowering women, and sex is an important part of being an adult woman. Amen, sister. Yeah. yeah, so this is really, it's a really great book. I don't want to say too much about it, but the Rogaru are real. Ooh. Yeah. So again, that was Empire of Wild by Sherry Dimeline. This is going to be her U.S. debut. It's coming out in July. I'm not reading anything else, are you? You know what? I'm listening to an audiobook. It is called Building Your Ideal Private Practice by Lynn Grodsky. It's narrated by Randy Kay. And I chose this book because Laura, my wife, she's a life coach. And one of the books we've read in the past that's been really helpful was another one by Lynn Grodsky called 12 Months to Your Ideal Private Practice, a workbook. And this is for therapists, for life coaches, massage therapists, anybody who has a healing-based practice. So when I was a massage therapist, it was kind of helpful as well. So this is her actual book book that the workbook was kind of based on. It's it's really great to have a refresh and to be in the car driving again and listening to audiobooks because I have gone on some errands and stuff. And I'm listening to it via Libro FM. Right on. We have some exciting news about Libro FM. We do. Libro FM is a new affiliate of the Book Cougars. Yay. Or I guess we should say we're an affiliate of Libro FM. Yes, we are. We're really excited about this. You know, we don't seek out partnerships. We we do want to keep our podcast ad free for the most part. So anything we do mention, it's something that's tried and true by us. Right. And something that we feel like is really going to benefit you, the listener. Not that, you know, bras and underwear don't benefit you also, but we, <laughs> we would just rather stick with things that are book centric. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what Libro FM is, 
it's an audiobook platform. And one of the things that's really different about Libro FM is that when you sign up to use them, you choose your favorite local bookstore or a bookstore that's just close to your heart. We know some of you don't have a local bookstore per se. And once you choose, every time you purchase a book, you're purchasing it through that bookstore via Libro FM. So the bookstore is benefiting. Yeah, it's a great way to support a local independent bookstore. And you can also choose the option to support all bookstores. So right. if you go that route, they have a general pot that all the money goes into that then they distribute among all the independent bookstores that are part of this program. Right. So you have two choices. You can pick one or you can spread the wealth yeah. up to you. And, you know, we are both huge fans of audiobooks. I listen to them a lot because I work you know, in a house by myself. So I'm not disturbing anybody else. <laughs> I often listen when I'm doing chores. I'm a huge listener when I take walks. And when I cook, mm. those are really the three times I listen the most. And I too, have recently listened to a book using Libro FM. And I love the platform. I think the app is really easy to use. And very friendly. The other thing I love about Libro FM is because of their affiliation with local bookstores, they have bookseller recommendations. So yeah. when you're browsing, it's a lot like, you know, when you're browsing in a bookstore and there are shelf talkers, they have recommended books, which I think is really cool yeah, as well. It totally is. And they do have a, a database of over 150,000 audiobooks to choose from. I think that's plenty for the rest <laughs> of our lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many listening hours that is. I don't know, because uh, the book I'm going to talk about soon, that's my next audiobook, is 42 hours. So I, <laughs> that, that's daunting enough for me. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So we need to talk about what it means for us to be an affiliate. We have a promo code. It's Book Cougars. If you sign up using the Book Cougars promo, what's really cool is that you get a three-month membership for the price of one, which right. is 14 yeah, so that's for fourteen ninety nine. You'll get the three month subscription, right? And then it's fourteen ninety nine per month thereafter. And you find it at go to libro.fm and enter book cougars one word book cougars. And we'll put a link and information in the show notes about this as well. So if you're interested in supporting independent bookstores as you listen to audiobooks, it's a great way to do that. Yeah, we're really excited about it. So one last time, it's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and enter Book Cougars. Yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah. And, and the instructions and on how to set up your account are super simple and straightforward. You do it on a website and then you download the app and take it from there. So let us know if you have any questions and we look forward to having you join us in supporting your favorite local indie. Yeah. And of course, we always want to know what you're listening to. So yes. stop by any of our social media platforms, email us. We really do want to know. We're nosy about what people are reading. So Chris, what did you just read? My gosh, Emily, I haven't really finished anything. Um, I've been just struggling to read. I've been doing a lot of news reading again this week. You know how you can put on your smartphone, the at least on the iPhone, your list, your usage time? 
Mm-hmm. Um, mine went up like 64% last week. I just got the notification this morning. So I was reading a lot of news. I was reading a lot of articles about what's going on in the country. And I was actually out buying books. So we could talk about that later. Okay. In the next Very segment. Good. How about you? What have you just read? I'll leave, I'll live vicariously through you. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I did read a lot up until last week as well. And then last week I, I had some hard times with a lot of distraction, but I did finish the book Friends and Strangers by J. Courtney Sullivan. I ended up really liking it. I have to say that books that are over 400 pages, I get a little crabby. Like I feel like you're using too many words. <laughs> Sometimes it depends yeah. on the writing. I did feel this way about uh, about this one, but I also ended up really glad that I read it. Mm-hmm. And I had a really strange reaction. I woke up to finish it really early in the morning and um, around five o'clock and I finished it, closed the book and just started sobbing. Oh, wow. And it took me a long time to figure out what really touched me about this book. And It's about a youngish mother, she's in her 30s, who moves out of New York City into upstate New York, following her husband, who's gotten a job at a university and is kind of following a dream of being an inventor. She's a writer, she's um, got a contract to write another book, they've just had a baby, he's about nine months old, and they hire a young woman from a local college to start babysitting a few times a week so that she can go off. Elizabeth is the mother's name can go off and start writing her book. And what happens is these two women, Elizabeth, who's the mother and Sam, who is babysitter start to develop a really close relationship. And it's somewhat appropriate and somewhat inappropriate. Elizabeth starts to get a little too involved in Sam's life. They're of a very different age. Elizabeth is sharing some of her, you know, wisdom about relationships And really what the book ends up being about is friendship, I think, and how people come in and out of your life at certain times in your life become very important. And then you part. And sometimes you part ways because there was something that went wrong. But sometimes it's really just about, you know, there's a time and a place for certain friendships. And I think this book was a little bit of both. I mean, they parted because some things happened, but also, you know, the relationship was over. It was time for it to be over. And it really made me think about when I was a young mother, it's a very lonely time. And I was living also in a place where I didn't know anybody. I was married. My husband had a job that took him out of the house every day. And here I was with this baby all alone. And I met somebody who was living in our apartment complex only because she and her husband were building a very large home in a different neighborhood. So we were a very different class, socioeconomic class. But we struck up a friendship because she had a child the exact same age as mine. And we became inseparable. And it completely changed the quality of my life. And so I think the book really just reminded me, took me back to that time. So I, I ended up really enjoying it. I still feel like it was a little bit long. <laughs> but, you know, that's just me being crabby because I have so many books I want to read, I suppose. <laughs> I highly recommend J. Courtney Sullivan. I've, I have read most of her books. I think she has five out. There's one I haven't read. But um, give it a try. Friends and Strangers, J. Courtney Sullivan. Let me know if you read it if you cry. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's great. It's it's really good to have a, a nice cry. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I I've been doing it frequently lately. <laughs> Um, William Morrow sent me a book called Motherland. Thank you. This book is by Leah Franqui, I think is how you pronounce her name. It comes out in July, just around the corner. For some reason, I don't know if it was the cover of this book or just something I read. I thought it had a lot to do with food. Hmm. It doesn't, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um. What it is about is the story of um, this woman, Rachel Meyer. I seem to have a theme where women are leaving New York City. So she, too, is a 30-something living in New York City. She's working for a company. And maybe this is where the food thing came to my mind. She's working for one of those companies like Sunbasket and those food delivery companies Mm -hmm. where you you order them and it comes, you know, kind of almost all prepared. Things are chopped up and there's a recipe and then you just have to put it together following their instructions. Mm -hmm. So she has, she's working in New York City. She meets a man who's um, just graduated from college and he is from India and he has come stateside just to go to school. They marry and he gets a job that um, moves them to Mumbai. So she quits her job and immediately is engrossed in incredible culture shock. And part of the culture shock there is that there's an expectation that you'll have help in your home. You'll have someone who comes in and cleans and cooks for you every day. And she's really resistant to that because she's been working and now she's not working. So she feels like, you know, I don't need help. (laughs) I don't have anything else to do. Why would I do that? And then A knock on the door comes one day and in shows up her mother-in-law, Swati, who lives in Kolkata, which I think is, you know, some distance from Mumbai. And she's left her husband. And here she shows up. (laughs) And then Rachel's husband, so the son, has to go away for about a month on business to another, back to his hometown where his mother has come from. So there's like a flip where he goes and moves in with his dad Mm. and the mother-in-law comes and moves in with Rachel and Swati, the mother-in-law is very traditional and she like, you know, why don't you have a cook? Why don't you have someone cleaning your house? So there's a lot of combativeness there between the two of them. And slowly they start to understand each other. And what's really interesting is that Rachel has been this very independent American woman. Swati's been in this very traditional Indian marriage that she's now wanting to leave. So they learn a lot about each other. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, I liked it. I too had the same complaint, like way too many words, mm-hmm. <laughs> which seems to be a common theme with me. So maybe I'm the problem here. But I did read the entire book. There wasn't much food. There was a little bit of food stuff, which enough for me to, you know, look up a few recipes and things like that, which is always fun for me. But it definitely, I definitely was a book that I was able to escape in. I think you and I talked about how it's helpful kind of to go to some place that's very different right now. Right. And another culture or another country. And um, this was really that read for me. It's great. What is yes. it again? Motherland, and that's two words, Motherland by Leah Franqui, and it comes out July 14th. So I also read the book Shelter by Jung Yoon. Woohoo! 
Yeah, this is the one that I also listen to with Libro FM. So I did what I really like to do with audiobooks is both. I like to audio and read, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't have to kind of quote stop reading when I go to take my walk or something. I can just carry on. Yeah. And we have a conversation at the end of this episode about this book, Shelter with the Author. Yeah, it was great to see uh, Jung Yoon again. She was a Booktopia author a couple years ago. Shelter came out in 2016, and I loved the book so much. And I'm so glad you read it and that you enjoyed it as well. It's an excellent read. It's such a good read, very fast paced, a total page turner for me. It is considered, and this is something we talk about with Jung, so we won't get carried away, but it is considered to be a thriller. I term that a butt clencher myself. (laughs) It was definitely a butt clencher. Um, We do have a discussion. Chris and I also do discuss it on our YouTube channel. So you can check that out if you want to hear us talk a little bit more about it. But it is the story of Kiang who's the 30-ish, 30-ish, we decided, (laughs) year old, son of Korean immigrants. His father has done really well for himself. He's a professor and an inventor of sorts. He has a lot of patents. Wealthy, multiple homes. Right. Yeah. And Kyung is struggling, he and his wife. They've overspent. They're super in debt. Their relationship is starting to fray. They have a young son. And what I really enjoyed about the novel is that it's such an exploration of the consequences of trauma on a person, you know, and that this one thing about like PTSD, it's not, it's often not something that happens immediately. It could be something that happens or shows 20, 30 years later. And I think that is something that happens to a lot of adults, certainly something that happens to a lot of war veterans and you know, people who've had extreme trauma in their life. Carl Marlantes, the author of Matterhorn, talks about that. He's a Vietnam veteran and didn't really have a lot of challenges until like 20, 30 years later, driving down the road, he had this major flashback. So Kyung, though, you know, that's part of his issue is the trauma from his childhood. And one of the lines I love from the book, it, it comes later in the novel and it's, uh, Kyung's father-in-law, Connie, who is a white man of Irish heritage, who's also had issues with his dad, says to him, it's hard to be happy when you don't know what it's supposed to look like. And mm-hmm. I love that line because I think it's so true. And I think sometimes people tend to grasp at, at things that aren't, you know, they, they look at tv and they think that's happiness you know some version of happiness that doesn't show you really how to get there or how to be there right yeah for sure that's a really good point point. and then this it, the story is complicated by the fact that he also is the father of a young child and so when you when you're trying to also be a father and you have this complex relationship with your own father so I, I thought she did such a fantastic job with this story on so many levels. Um, I was late to the party. Chris read it. It was a favorite book of hers in 2016. I'm so glad that I read it. And I highly recommend that you go out and get yourself a copy. Yeah, it's ASAP. Absolutely. It's such a good read. You definitely won't regret it. 
And I did listen to the audio, as I said, and that was narrated by Raymond Lee. And I thought he did a great job. Like um, Connie, who you referred to, Jillian's dad, who's who's Kyung's um, father-in-law, has, you know, you picture him with this Boston accent and he does a good job with that. He doesn't get carried away, mm-hmm. but, you know, he does a really good job. So, and Connie's I, the I, cop, isn't he? He or is. I, he is, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jillian's family is all cops. You know, she was raised with the, the with that. So, which is an an added development in the story because <laughs> cops are involved. We'll just drop that little hint. <laughs> <laughs> so again, that's Shelter by Jung Yoon. And I read one more book. All right. Wow. Called Yeah, I know. And this book was. A tough read. You know, there's a lot going on in our country right now. And I often try to understand things through reading. You know, that's always been a place that I've turned when I'm um, feeling stress or just feel like I want to participate in a conversation, but don't necessarily know how. And I had the pleasure of being in a webinar last week with Dr. Misa Akbar. I had never met her. Um, but she's local to New Haven, and she wrote a book called Urban Trauma, A Legacy of Racism. She kind of is known for coining the term urban trauma, and what she calls it is it's it's a set of conditions that sustain modern-day oppression. And one of the things she does really well in the book, she's a therapist by trade now, but she was raised in New York City and has suffered her own urban trauma, so she weaves her own story along with examples of other clients, which I think for me is really helpful. Like I don't mind particularly in nonfiction, like reading somewhat, you know, deep or thought provoking ideas. But then if you give me practical application for those ideas, I always do better, Mm. you know, and she does that. And um, she also really looks at history, the history of slavery, the history of laws that were enacted, and how urban trauma is so impacts really the reaction that people have today to what's happening. And really, your your comment about PTSD is so true. I mean, she talks about the difference between PTSD and urban trauma. And I think you would find that part of this book really interesting. She also talks about how the, the history of with slavery, part of what happened was they kept black people enslaved, not only physically, but mentally, because they weren't allowed access to education. And really, with once slavery was abolished, and with Jim Crow laws, education was used in the same way. You know, I mean, with segregated schools and things like that, and schools being funded by the tax base in which the schools are located. It's really been a way to hold children, particularly back, who live in very urban settings. So she touches on a lot of stuff here. I don't want to get too carried away. This book, really, we could talk about it for an entire episode. Um, She does touch on epigenetics, which is something that I am very fascinated with right now, and I've talked about several times on the podcast. And she talks about it from the aspect Aspect of your environmental surroundings and how that affects your DNA over generations. So if you're looking for some reading that might help you understand the protests right now, 
and also the relationship that police have had historically with urban communities, I think this would be a book for you. I read it very quickly. It's not a thick book at all. And um, I thought even though I think it's written more for practitioners, it was meaningful to me and really helped me to be able to think about what's happening now and kind of feel like I'm not doing something in an action way, but I'm doing something in an understanding way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that sounds really good. It's definitely going on my list to read. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to read it quickly. So I didn't, I looked at all of our local bookstores and nobody had it in stock. So I did just buy the e-version of it. Um, but I have so many notes <laughs> that I, you know, like how you can highlight your ebook that I kind of wish like, oh, I wish I just bought it and could be like scribbling and highlighting and doing things. So I might get another copy of it and do that. Again, it's called Urban Trauma, A Legacy of Racism by Dr. Misa Akbar. So on to Biblio Adventures. Yes, we had a joint jaunt. We did. We had a virtual <laughs> joint jaunt with our mystery man, John Valeri. He turned the tables on us and interviewed us on his new booktube channel over on YouTube called Central Booking is the title of his show. And we were so honored that he asked us to be on. And it was just so much fun to talk with him and and see him in air quotes yes it was also kind of stressful I have to say (laughs) he asks really good questions John is a book reviewer and he also interviews authors all the time so he knows how to ask some questions I have to say yeah at first I was thinking like oh this is going to be great I just get to sit back and not have to worry about the recording or anything but I found I was a little bit like I felt a little like what am I doing I don't you know I'm a little exposed and I don't have anything else to focus on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So we will put a link in the show notes to that. And um, if you haven't heard John, if you haven't listened to any of our episodes with him, you're in for a treat. I'll just tell you that he's been on three times, episode 25, 49, and 60. He talks a lot about mystery novels, which is why we call him our mystery man. Your TBR will explode yes, when you listen will. to him. Yeah. <laughs> so that's John's. That's um. He does a lot of writing. He's a freelance writer. He does uh, writing for Criminal Element, Mystery Scene Magazine, Suspense Magazine. You know anything out there dealing with mystery, thriller, suspense? John is on it, and his YouTube channel Central Booking does have a, a variety of different genre authors on it um Mm -hmm. you know historians memoir writers um a a lot of variety there as well yeah so check out um you know you can watch ours but you can also watch others we highly recommend it very entertaining i also attended an event a virtual event i had my own couch biblio adventure at the strand bookstore which was kind of fun because I've never gone to the Strand for a book event. Yeah. That's the one thing I have to say about this that's so interesting. There were over 200 people on this event. And it was with Britt Bennett and Gloria Edom. And Britt Bennett, this is her second book just released. I want to remind people of this. It's called The Vanishing Half. I loved her book, The Mother's. 
And I talked about The Vanishing Half a couple months ago. So now it's out. It came out June 2nd. Go get it. It's really good. And then Gloria Edom, we saw her at Book Expo. She's um, the editor of the anthology Well-Read Black Girl. And so I was excited to see both of them. Yeah. And it was a really fun event. She, you know, they, they both just... Um, we're really at ease with each other and talked about the odd time we're in of trying to release a book out into the world. But then also the fact that Brit wrote a book that's about, you know, race and color, particularly because this, um, to remind listeners, was a book about a set of twins, identical twins who, who are very light skinned black. And one of them chooses to pass as white and the other chooses not to and marries a very dark skinned black man. So a timely read for today to understand some issues, deep issues around race. And I was really enjoying it. I have to say I didn't get to watch the whole thing because my gentleman caller showed up right in the middle (laughs) and didn't really get that I should have warned him I'm going to be at a book event when you arrive and he started talking to me and I decided I should pay him a little attention. So (laughs) I watched about 30 minutes of it. I did look to see. I was hoping they had recorded it, which they didn't. But I did enjoy the half an hour that I spent there. So again, um, that was an event at the Strand Bookstore, which is in New York. And uh, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett is out now. And the anthology Well-Read Black Girl by Gloria Edom is also out. Great. I had a biblio adventure of my own. I did the Willa Cather Spring Conference, which was supposed to be in person, as it is or had been for the last 64 years, um, but they did it through an app called Whova, which was really great. It worked really well. You could attend the sessions, ask questions. They had the, a lot of the content was pre-recorded, but then the Q&A was live. Oh, interesting. Which was really cool. And then some of the content was live and it's been recorded. And so if you've signed up for the conference, you have access to it, all that content for a year, which is kind of cool. That's really nice. So you didn't have to just cram it in at that once, you know, weekend. Exactly. And there were some things, some sessions I couldn't attend because of work things I needed to take care of. But I look forward to going back and being able to watch them. And then you have access to to the presenters contact information. So you can always reach out to them at a later date too. So it's a great, great resource. Um, I just wanted to point out two books um, or two authors who were part of this conference. Erica Ryan, who's a historian, her book is When the World Broke in Two, The Roaring Twenties and the Dawn of America's Culture Wars, which um, sounds like a great read. So she really helped. The, the focus was on Cather's collection of short stories, Youth and the Bright Medusa, which came out in 1920. So Erica Ryan really helped set the context for what was going on in the world at that time. And it's the 20s were such a fascinating time period and so full of contradictions and, you know, so much. I mean, talk about you know, racism and, and the rise again of the Klan around the country and really fascinating book. I look forward to reading that. It came out in 2018. The other author helping to provide a lot of context and was a keynote speaker was Alex Ross, who's the music critic for the New Yorker magazine. And a lot of people might remember 
or know his name from his earlier book called The Rest is Noise, Listening to the 20th Century, which was like a historical look at music in the 20th century. And it, that was shortlisted for the Pulitzer, I believe. Wow. Um, his forthcoming book is on, it's called uh, Wagnerism, Art and Politics in the Shadow of Music. So that is all about uh, Richard Wagner, the composer, and how popular his music was. It was both popular and avant-garde and just how it's been used over the time period. Um, a lot of people know it was used in awful ways by the Nazis. And, you know, he thinks it's still very much something that should be listened to today for other reasons and to... I guess, try and get out from underneath that shadow. But Cather has a couple stories, and she was very into music, but she does have a, a couple that mention his music in particular. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah, huh. so that book is coming out in September, if you're interested in, in literature and music. What he does in the book is he looks at the, the influence that his music had on culture, from philosophy to literature, you know, things like the Lord of the Rings. And so it sounds fascinating. I, that wow. might be something I would listen to as, as an audio book. Yeah. God, he must have done so much research to write a oh, book like that. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, in his conversations, he had a couple um, throughout over the days of the conference and so knowledgeable about music and opera. And I just learned so much about like how extremely popular opera was back when music first started to be recorded because mm -hmm. those were the early the early records were the opera stars you know he's like we and today just can't comprehend how big these opera stars were yeah and so wow. yeah huh. it was a really cool conference i'm i'm glad i uh, quote attended <laughs> I love the idea, too, of things being recorded because, you know, like we go to Book Expo or even when you just go to an author event and there's sometimes when I want to say, like, could you rewind and say that again? You know, <laughs> it's like it's over or you get distracted, you know, you sneeze and you miss something. And so I love the idea now of things, you know, being held for you to listen to again or it's just... Exactly. You know, listen when you have the more of a, um, you feel like you can be more attentive, you right. know. Yeah, exactly. So that was cool. And then I also actually spent time inside of two bookstores, which was so exciting. Um, That's awesome. I had books on hold at Breakwater Books, which is our local independent here in Guilford, Connecticut. I picked up two books there. The first is How to Be Anti-Racist uh, by Ibram X. Kendi. That's one that I've seen recommended a lot. And then the other book I picked up is All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. And it's called A Memoir Manifesto. Mm. And this is one I picked up specifically for Gay Pride Month, which we are currently in in June. And on the back, it just has this big statement. I'm holding it up for Emily. This says, Be Bold and Brave and Queer. So, And it did get a starred review from um, Kirkus Reviews. A critical, captivating, merciful mirror for growing up black and queer today. Oh. So I look forward to that. And then I had put in a big order at Bank Square Books. Um, I bought a bunch of writing books. And some were replacement copies. Some were new-to-me books. And I had thought that I would be picking them up curbside 
But then the order came in and I got to go inside. Oh, so, so much nice. fun. So um, to just to tell you, like, re- listeners, how it was at this um, store, it is a pretty big store and they get a lot of traffic um, because, you know, Mystic, Connecticut, where the store is located, is a travel destination. You know, a lot yeah. of tourists are there. And obviously this year is a bit different. But when you first walk in, they have the entryway roped off. I should back up and say there are two entrances, but they only have one open as an entrance entrance and so you walk in and there's a rope and there's an employee there at the desk and they ask you to sanitize your hands they have hand sanitizer there here in Connecticut you have to be wearing a mask to enter a store anyway so you do have to have your mask on and then they give you a little what they call a hall pass which is this (laughs) rectangle piece of plastic colorful plastic that you carry with you but it's for them to know how many people are in the store so based yeah, on the size smart. of their store, they're they're letting in 10 at a time. So you can go and do your shopping and you eventually get over to the other side of the store and you pay at that register and then you go out that exit. And so, leave your hall pass behind. And leave your yeah, leave it yeah. with the the clerk as you check out um or as you leave, you know, if you're if you don't purchase anything. So it was really great to be inside of a store and browse a little bit. I did pick up some stationery and a notebook so it was really wonderful and i was conscious too of not taking too much time just so other people could get in right yeah yeah i mean a lot of stores are doing that you know like one person in one person out Mm -hmm. one person in one person out you know that kind of thing so i think that the hall pass is such a cute way for them to monitor the number of people in people are going to have flashbacks to elementary school you know I know, getting the key to go to the bathroom. Right yeah, now. I know. As soon as you said hall pass, I was like, I need to take a break and go potty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. I was living vicariously through you as you were, you know, you posted pictures about your trip there. Because I just love going to Mystic in general. And yeah. it's such a great town. So that's awesome it that is. you got a little feel. Yeah. And Mystic Pizza is right across the street. So I got a, I thought... I don't know what I thought a calzone was. (laughs) You know, I thought it was something that I could just hold in my hand and eat as I drove down the road because I had to get home for an appointment, you know. I thought it was a Hot Pocket. You know, a Hot Pocket or these fast food place in Nebraska called Runza, which are like little things you can hold that are, you know, it's meat with the baked exterior. Yeah, yeah. You know, a type of crust, not crust, I can't think of my words right now but when the, the woman at the restaurant put this little it was a small pizza box that was what the order came in and when I picked it up I was like oh my god this thing is like 10 pounds yes. I had no idea what a calzone really was but it was yeah. yummy I told her uh, she called me and told me about this and I was like it's basically a pizza fold in half right exactly <laughs> and, and, you know in Connecticut they take pizza very seriously in Connecticut and yeah. the calzones are monstrous things here so they are huge. knife and fork yeah. experiences it was so. basically three meals for me yes yeah yeah, yeah. huge that's what I love about them <laughs> What do you have coming up? What kind of um, biblio adventure is on the horizon for you? I am looking for an event with Mega Majumdar because she's the author of that book, A Burning, 
which is our buddy Ann Kingman put out months ago, like this is going to be the book that everyone needs to read. And I read it early. I talked about it a long time ago on the podcast, but I want people to know it's out now, a burning mega mujumdar. And so, you know, these authors that are releasing books now, they are doing virtual events. So I got online to see um, if she was doing anything and came across Politics and Prose, that bookstore, great bookstore down in DC, which I've never been to, but desperately want to go to. It's so good. Thomas um, of the Readers, Mm -hmm. um, I visited him and uh, he took me there and we had a browse. It's really a great store. They have... That's a wonderful, like, used section as well, or overstock section, I should say. Overstock, okay. Yeah. Well, when things get back up and running, I think DC might be a trip I take. I have a dear friend down there, and Kramer Books announced that they might be moving, and I love Kramer Books as it exists now, so I feel like I'd love to get in there one more time as well. But they've been recording event their book events for a while, I guess. So they actually have, I guess, what would you say, like back events available for re- viewing on YouTube, and they actually just had an event with Mega Majumdar. And see Pam Zhang, who has that book, How Much of These Hills is Gold, which a lot of people are talking about. I think it's from the Chinese perspective during the gold rush in America. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me specifically on that. It has a beautiful cover. I know that. I've seen it. It was. I just walked by Breakwater the other day, and it's right in the window there. So I'm going to watch that. And I just want listeners to know politics and prose, they get heavy hitter authors there. So you might check out their YouTube channel. I'm, I will obviously put the link to this in the show notes. And just what I've been doing is, you know, I, I kind of treat them a little bit like audiobooks, and I'll put them on and just listen. You don't necessarily have to watch per se, but listen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what about you? Have you got any upcoming? Yeah, books? I have two that I'll mention. Um, June 10th, Bank Square Books slash Savoy has Erica Ruth Newbar in conversation with Juliet Grames. That's from two to three Eastern time. And Erica Ruth Newbar wrote a book that I really enjoyed. It's a, a cozy mystery that came out um, just, I think, in March it was Murder at the Mena House which is set in Egypt in the 1920s again. Look forward to that conversation. You wrote a review of that book on your yeah, blog. Didn't you? I did. Yeah, so I'll, I'll link to that in the okay. show notes. Great, thanks, Emily. Um, the other one is a conversation through CAP Radio, and it's hosted by Donna Apadone. It's a conversation with memoirist Irene Butter. Um, her memoir is called Shores Beyond Shores, and it's her story of having survived the Holocaust and finding hope again. She was born and raised in Berlin, and her family escaped to Amsterdam, thinking that they would be beyond the reach of the Nazis, but unfortunately they were not. And I was reading her story on her website and was fascinated to learn that she saw Anne Frank in the concentration camp in Bergen-Belsen, Irene's best friend in the camp was friends with Anne Frank, you know, outside of the camp back in Amsterdam. And then she was transferred out and didn't really know what happened to Anne, obviously, until until much later. So that was kind of fascinating to me because, you know, I've read Anne Frank's diary. You know, it's one of those things like a historical person 
that you don't really think of other people who are still living today having known her. Right. Do you know? Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. But they, she was so young. So, I mean, it makes sense. But yeah, you definitely don't think about it. I mean, that's the thing about history that's so amazing to me is that sometimes we think of that, like the, even the term history, it's like it happened a long time ago. But even the civil rights movement, that was a moment ago. Right. And, you know? and it's it's current events for some people because it's kind of still in your lifetime. Like right. you don't really think of things that happen in your lifetime as quote history. Right. But right. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to that conversation and that is June 11th and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. So I wonder how old she is. Oh gosh. Um, she must be in her nineties, I guess. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what I would think. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Ooh, I'll be very interested to hear about that event. Upcoming reads, anything burning a hole um, on your bookstand? Yes, actually, it's weighing it down. <laughs> it's very big and heavy. <laughs> so my upcoming read is, as I said, it's big and heavy. <laughs> it's the book that plagues me, like sits on my shelf and talks out loud to me every time I look at it. It's called Shantaram by Gregory David Roberts. It's 933 pages. The audio is 43 hours. <laughs> and I'm determined. I have outed myself in public on social media that I'm going to read this book this summer as part of our buddy Sue's 2020 Big Summer Book Challenge. Yes. I'm so excited that you're reading this. <laughs> I know that you've talked about it. And, uh, you know, we've had conversations about it as it sits there on your shelf saying, read me, Emily. Yes. Read me. Well, and the funniest thing is the first summer I moved here, which I'm coming up on my fifth anniversary. Wow. Next week, June 15th. I've lived here five years. And I started this book that summer. I had mm. I got this book in the Yankee Swap at Booktopia in April of 2015. And it seemed like the perfect thing. Like, I'm going to read this chunkster my first summer here. I wasn't working as hard as I usually do. I had plenty of time. I got to page 372. Wow. And then for some reason stopped. And I don't remember it not liking it. Mm -hmm. I just think something happened or I got, you know, I sucked into another book or something. Maybe I just got carpal tunnel because the book was really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to start from page one again. And I'm really excited. Sue blogs at book by book. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. She has a Goodreads group where you can, you know, chime in about the book that you're going to read if you want to be part of the challenge. This is mine. And I, you know, the funny thing is I really wanted it to be like a vacation read. You know, I wanted to feel like, oh, I'm taking a week's vacation. I'm going to dig into this book. But I don't see a vacation in my future. So I think I'm just going to have to make it that for myself, you know, carve out the time and just, you know, maybe say two hours a day, I'm going to read this. I like I said, I have the audio also. So I'm going to try to do it both ways. And several people have chimed in on social media saying they will join me. So right. I'm going to hold to that. Yeah, it's so good to have a support group. Yes, exactly. Such a big one. Yeah. Or as I'm referring to them, accountability partners. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> That's what so about cool. you? Uh, I think the next one I'm probably going to start is one of the writing books I got through Bank Square Books, and that is How to Write Nonfiction, P. 
Turn Your Knowledge into Words by Joanna Penn. And I really like Joanna. She has a podcast I've been listening to for years called The Creative Pen. And, you know, I've read a lot of her articles on her blog as well. And, you know, like I said, enjoy her podcast content. So I was happy to to get a copy of her book. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so here we are, another episode coming to an end. Yes, and up next we have our great interview with Jung Yoon. Don't miss it. Run out and get yourself a copy of Shelter. I got it from our local library. It's readily available. Highly recommend. All right, everybody. Enjoy. Happy Happy reading. reading. We are so excited to be here today with Jung Yoon, the author of Shelter, which was longlisted for the Center for Fiction's first novel prize and a finalist for the Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers Award. Jung's work has appeared in so many national magazines and journals, the Tin House, the Massachusetts Review, the Indiana Review, the Atlantic, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Review of Books, and many more. We're so excited to have you with us today, Jung. Thank you so much for making time to be here with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be talking to you. And Chris forgot one important note. It also made Chris Wolak's best of 2016 reading list. Oh. And, and that oh, says a lovely. lot because she reads a lot of books every year. <laughs> she does. She really does. Have a great year. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You know, what's funny about that is I, I've been going through all my old blog posts because I had something like almost 90 drafts languishing in my drafts folder. And I never posted my best reads of 2016. So when I looked at that and I opened it, I was like, oh my gosh, the books are here. I should post this now. Because I think what happened is I was overwhelmed by the 2016 election and my blogging took a hit. And and I feel like, uh, I know your book was getting fantastic reviews and press. I've seen it on lists like, you know, the 100 best thrillers list uh, from Penguin Random House. And... And I, I feel in some ways that the election kind of was a Debbie Downer for your book. Is that? Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, okay, let me back up. The 2016 election was a Debbie Downer for so many reasons. But I do feel Period. like, like, yes, um, that your book, like, I, I feel like it was so fantastic. And I do feel like it, it got overwhelmed by the news cycle. Oh, that's interesting to hear. You know, it's quite possible that that is what happened. Although, you know, it was a first book. So I was just sort of overwhelmed um, and so grateful for any attention that it got at all, just because as a first time writer, you never know if your book is going to be one of the ones that, you know, people sort of pick up and read and or the ones that get forgotten and lots and lots of um, really wonderful books do get forgotten and sort of swept up in current affairs. As we're seeing right now, um, unfortunately, there's some great stuff coming out. Whether people are getting it in their hands, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Well, I loved the book. I'm late to the shelter party. I read it over the last couple of days, and I was just riveted by the story and the characters. And one of the common threads, I feel like, with all of the characters is a level of trauma that they're suffering. And it really made me think about the idea of epigenetics and how trauma is transferred literally genetically, you know, from generation to generation. 
So can you talk a little bit about, I would like to know why you wrote the book and maybe even if you could touch for our listeners a little bit on what it's about. We don't, I'm always nervous to talk too much about what a book is about that, that is, is in the thriller category because you don't want to issue any accidental spoilers. But if you could talk a little bit about it, that would be great. Sure. You know, I think 2016 does feel like a long time ago. Um, and I'm thinking about the years before when this when this novel was kind of coming to fruition. I don't think that when I did press for the book, I talked enough about my mom's influence on it, and particularly my mom's um, profession. She, for 30 years, owned and operated a retirement home for low-income senior citizens in Minnesota. So uh, we would go there as little kids. We would be asked to read to the residents who lived there, play games with them, spend time with them. And it was a very sort of peculiar experience as a Korean-American immigrant um, coming from a cultural background where elderly parents lived at home with their adult children and their grandchildren until they passed away. A retirement home just wasn't something that I understood culturally until my mom suddenly started working at one and then and started to run one. Uh, I remember feeling really sorry for a lot of these elderly folks who didn't seem to have people coming on their birthdays to take them out or sending them a Christmas gift. I remember like hand wrapping tons of little stocking stuffers and gifts with my mom as a kid because sometimes she would be the only person giving them a gift. And I think some of that really stuck with me growing up as an adult and in thinking about this book because there were a lot of people there who didn't really seem to have family connections. And I think it's natural to be curious about you know, when a person isn't connected to, you know, adult children, what happened to that relationship? Why isn't there a relationship? And I think some of that really did get into my head and into my thinking as I was starting to write what became eventually Shelter. So that was really, um, that wasn't something that I just talked about enough when the book came out, but I think it was only in retrospect realizing like how much of an influence um, my mom's work and all that time that I spent at her retirement home had on me as as, as an adult writer. That's great. Thank you for that. I, I know um, the, the main character, you know, in Shelter does not have a great relationship with his parents. And, and it's one of the few books I've read that really digs into the why. And I, because I think, at least in my experience, stories about older people who are alone and they're not surrounded by their children it's always looked upon as if the kids there's something wrong with the kids they're ungrateful and whatnot and in this story you really understand why and i love that question that is kind of one of the questions of your novel is when your parents don't take care of you emotionally what do you owe them yeah and with Ken's father, like the fact that he's elderly, the fact that he is years, decades removed from the abuse that he inflicted on his family, the fact that he's actually able to be a, a decent grandparent to Kyung's son, um, these are all things that kind of confuse the situation because, you know, even within Kyung's own family, his wife sort of looks at Kyung's dad and thinks like, he's, he's being nice, he's being kind. 
Um, age has this like interesting mask. It tends to make a person seem harmless um, because what can they do? They're physically frail. But for Kyung, that trauma that Emily was talking about earlier, that trauma like doesn't leave the, the body, the skin, the memory. Even though he's looking at an older man who is recently the victim of violence himself and is very frail as a result emotionally and physically, he still feels that threat and that danger there, um, even though nobody else around him really kind of sees it, which I think is also a sort of maddening aspect for Kyung, but like uh, that he's the person who carries this and nobody else really understands what he has been through and what he's going through in the present being with his father again. Yeah, there's a scene in the book that I wanted to talk to you about that I think just really, it literally just put it, it's in my heart forever it'll never leave because it was so amazingly well written and I could I felt like I was in the room with your characters and it's where um Kyung is at a school conference you know like a parent teacher conference with his parents and something horrible had just happened at home that he had witnessed and here they are in this room you know, hiding it basically from the teachers. And it to me, there was so much in that in that moment because when you go to a parent-teacher conference, I mean, I've been a kid in that situation and I've been the parent, you know, and you it, it's a vulnerable situation and you want to be on your best behavior and you want to hear mm-hmm. only good things, you know. But at the same time, here he is feeling like I, I'm hiding the truth of my family here. Can you talk about what it was like to to write from that perspective? Yeah, I'm so glad that you picked out that scene because it was really quite small and short. It's really more of a memory of Kyung's. But I think part of what I was trying to get at is that in addition to families that have um, a history of abuse wanting to hide it from other people, there's also something related to the fact that they're they're an immigrant family. Um, an immigrant family in a community that isn't particularly diverse or welcoming to them. So I think in speaking to other friends and other family members who have immigrated to this country, like one of the the common things that I've noticed is that many of us, for a long time, we didn't want to be looked at um, or noticed in a particular way because we already felt sort of out of joint in terms of the community. We like me growing up in North Dakota, I always felt like I sort of stood out in this place that wasn't particularly diverse. So, you know, here Kyung and his family are at this parent-teacher conference where they do want to be looked at properly, where they don't want to stand out. And they're hiding not only the thing that happened before they, they went to this event, but they also just they don't want to draw any excess attention to themselves because as immigrants, they're often drawing excess attention to themselves just by simply being. So, yeah, I'm really glad you picked that up because it is a short, a short little scene, but it, I was hoping to convey um, a lot of different levels of, of wanting to kind of be hidden and filtered there. Well, and just the whole thing about, you know, as a boy, how he, he felt like he was the only one who was being singled out and had no way to talk with his parents because there was no emotional vulnerability allowed within the family and just how isolating that was for him emotionally as a child, 
but then within the larger world as well and just all the assumptions people make about people you know dad is a professor so he must be these things um you, you know he's educated so of course his home life must be wonderful mm -hmm. and i think your your novel categorizing novels is always dicey i think and and i was initially surprised to see your book on thriller lists of course it reads like a thriller but i was thinking it was more literary fiction I just wonder, how do you feel about those types of categories as not only a writer, but as a teacher of writing? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I always thought of Shelter as, as a novel that would have been classified as, as literary fiction. That's always what I aspired to write. But again, as a writer, I don't really think so much about categories. I just, I write the stories that interest me that I want to write. What I found, um, and again, this was my first novel, so you just learn a ton of things during the publishing experience. But what I found was that other people really care, like publishers really care, uh -huh. publicists really care, um, book bloggers, like it, reviewers, that other people care about what something is categorized. And to the degree that those categories help readers find a book like i'm i'm fine with them but i i agree i never thought that i was writing a literary thriller and if you asked me to categorize my own book that is not the one that would immediately come to mind but i have heard from some readers that that's sort of their sweet spot as a book buyer as a reader and that's how they came to find shelter eventually otherwise they might have just sort of you know turned away from it so that's all well and good. I try to get students to, you know, students sometimes come to my classes and they're really interested in writing mystery or uh, sci-fi. And I always just tell them like, okay, you know, write what you want to write, but make sure that there's a person that it feels like a real person, regardless of what the scenario, regardless of the world that we're, we're sitting in or seeing, make sure that there's a person who's worth following around for you know the length of a story the length of a novella or a novel um, as a writer that's and as a teacher of writing that's what I really care about most which is you know character driven fiction and characters who feel like real people um, to me as a writer and also to readers hopefully Go ahead, I say you did, I just a follow up. I just would say you did a fantastic job here with shelter. I have to say oh, I was very <laughs> it's a page turner and I was very captivated by the main character and all of the other characters as well. Oh, thank you. I kind of miss them, to be honest, like after <laughs> I was done writing. Yeah. I, it, they're they're not lovable people or in some cases, like likable people. Mm -hmm. But I spent so much time with them that they felt as real to me as, you know, flesh and blood people did after a while. So that was strange, but, you know, hopefully that translates in the reading experience for people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that's a good point. The whole, you know, likable character issue, you know, I don't tend to need to like the characters I'm reading about, but I want to be invested in them in some way and, and care about them at some level and what's going on. And I, and I feel like you covered a lot of different avenues, um, looking at the main characters that coupled with the trauma i'm wondering what the reactions were to the book you know from the korean community if that is a, even a a possible question to answer um, but talking about the abuse within families you know i i've been fortunate to do a couple of events with 
groups here uh, based in DC that are for women and, and children who have been victims of domestic violence and child abuse. Um, one of the things that I spent a lot of time on before actually doing the writing is doing a ton of research because, you know, for me, these themes and these issues, they're, they're a fiction and I'm, I'm privileged that it, they're a fiction, but I always knew that there were, there's a population for whom these are, these are real things. These are real traumas that they've lived through. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that I did the job responsibly and well and from an informed and research position. The events that I've done with these types of groups have actually been quite positive, um, sort of showing that domestic violence happens in families across race, across class. Um, there are male survivors of violence in addition to women. So I, I've been grateful for that response in particular because I'm writing about things that I don't know about through my own experience. So that was that was very much a relief to me. In terms of the Korean American community, Chris, you asked about that. I did one event um, a couple of years ago with a number of, of Korean American writers, Korean American women writers specifically. And, you know, while that is only a microcosm of a much larger population, one of the things that I was very gratified by at that event is that afterwards, like a number of people came by to get their books signed and like very quietly and privately either said or sort of intimated the fact that these were things that had happened in their own family and they were happy, happy, um, I'm doing air quotes right now, to see someone writing about them in in a way that was very direct. So, you know, those are just different reactions that I've had from small percentages and, and samples of much larger communities. So I don't really know, but what I've gotten so far has been has been both gratifying and, and a relief to me that people who have read the book think it I had at least done the work well. Now I'd love to ask you another question about your experience as a teacher of creative writing. Um, you, sure. teach, you teach at George Washington University. And I'm wondering how has teaching writing affected your own writing process? Oh. <laughs> wow. You know, there are days when I, I get up at five o'clock pretty much every morning to write before I do anything else. I think that that has always made me like a better spouse and teacher and friend. I think writing first thing in the morning makes me better at everything else that I do. But there have been mornings where I've just like sat at my desk and written and rewritten like the same sentence or paragraph or maybe even page over and over again and just still disliked what the result was. And then I have to go and teach <laughs> like feeling like such an imposter. <laughs> like I have no business doing this. But you know, what I, I feel so fortunate about this is that I get to engage in work that is so, it all feeds into each other. The stuff that I'm writing, the stuff that I'm teaching, the stuff that I'm reading with my students, it's all sort of engaged in this like conversation that feeds off each other, which I find is really um, sort of nourishing and energizing. The fact that my students are so excited about writing and what writing can do, um, to hear an 18 or 19 year old talk about like the first book that kind of turned the lights on for them is, I mean, I, I live for that kind of stuff. Like that is, is such a wonderful thing to be able to see and hear um, in conversation. So I found it to be enormously like, 
I'm, I'm going to use a word that I dislike in other in other ways, but <laughs> synergistic. Like I just find that there's a great synergy be- between teaching, writing, and being a writer myself. There are those days, however, uh, <laughs> but there are far and few between, thankfully. Yeah. Well, on those days, you just need to bring a copy of Shelter and put it on a little easel on your desk. <laughs> or, or in current times, you know, like have it behind you when you're Zooming with your students. <laughs> because you definitely know how to write. We're here to tell oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Such a good book. Yeah. So oh, we're wondering, too, um, if you could tell us a little bit about your forthcoming novel. We've heard that the title is Oh Beautiful and it's coming out from St. Martin's uh, Press. Are you willing to tell us a little bit about it? Sure, sure. Uh, So the book sold to St. Martin's Press to a new editor named Anna DeVries, who was formerly at Picadora, which published my first book. Mm -hmm. And um, just a quick synopsis, it's about a Korean-American journalist who was born and raised in North Dakota. And she returns to North Dakota in 2012 at the height of the oil boom on the western part of that state to write an article about how the oil boom is changing the state, diversifying one of the least diverse places in the country, like very, very rapidly. And the novel um, sort of relies on three different stories, the journalist's own family background, the story of the oil boom, and then this third story about a woman who has gone missing um, since the boom started, and all three kind of intertwine with each other. Um, and that's basically about it. Wow, it sounds great. And do you, do you have an idea? I know you said it just sold. So do they give you an idea of when it will publish? The goal is... Um, fall 2021. Um, so that's, that's the goal and the hope. Uh, we'll see how that actually plays out given, you know, how many book releases have been delayed um, this spring and also this summer. Great. Yeah. Well, we're definitely looking forward to that. Something to look forward to coming down the yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> one last question, um, Jung. Sure. We're wondering, you've been to some writers' colonies and I, I love following you on social media to, to see what you're up to and your your gorgeous cat. Um, love seeing pictures of him, too. Oh, <laughs> um, but we're wondering if you could tell us a little bit, like, what is it like? You were recently at the McDowell Colony and I was on their website looking around and I love that they even list like the different cottages that mm-hmm. writers have stayed at. And you were in the Chapman Cottage and it lists other writers that were there, including like Colson Whitehead is a name that a lot of people know. What is it like to be a writer at a writer's colony? It is the most amazing privileged experience ever. Uh, I wasn't, I, I wasn't a convert before I'd gone to one and I didn't quite understand like how people could be productive. I always thought of myself as a writer who needed to be in my study with my books, with my you know, big computer in front of me. Like I was just convinced that I wouldn't be able to get anything done outside of my own writing environment. Um, But having been to a a number of these now, um, including McDowell, um, U-Cross in Wyoming, which is extraordinary, um, and the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, I can honestly say like the days at a writing residency um, just feel longer. They feel like supersized and you're surrounded by people who are engaged in their own art form. People feed you 
breakfast and lunch and dinner and you would be surprised like how having like even just those basic needs taken care of like suddenly like not thinking about food like I, I must spend hours and hours at home thinking about food but just like <laughs> not having that as a responsibility um that I'm taking care of just frees up like all of this time to create so you know, McDowell's uh, slogan is freedom to create. And I just, I, I feel that so deeply about them and other places that I've been to that if one is lucky enough to get into these places, like the days just feel long and so intentional in purpose. Like you wake up every day and you know what you're supposed to do. Like I've never been more productive. Um, so I'm, I'm obviously a huge convert now. Oh, that's great. I have to ask that when you're in that, when you were in Chapman, you know, do, do people leave little notes? You know, did, was there like a little note from Colson Whitehead or did he etch CW in the desk or anything like that? <laughs> no, you know, I didn't see anything quite like that. But the funny thing about Chapman is that it is a cabin that has something called the Oracle, which was a big deal. The Oracle is like an an old spooky outhouse um, and it's directly behind <laughs> Chapman cabin and people would leave little notes, including like little fortunes that you would like, you know, dip your hand into this little container and then pull out a fortune that had been written by other writers who had stayed in Chapman house at some point in, in the past. So who knows, like maybe I, I pulled a fortune that was written by, you know, Alex Chi or Colson Whitehead or someone else who had been there before. But that was kind of like a cool little detail that was unique to Chapman that I really loved. That's great. And I read yeah. that that, that uh, is it's kind of out in the woods. It's like 20, a 20 minute walk. It, it is so out. Did you feel <laughs> kind of creeped out being out there in the woods alone? A hundred. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because like one, I'm a big scaredy cat. And two, like it's, I chose to sleep in my writing studio. Some writers do this. Some writers go back to the dorm, but it was such a long walk that I was like, once I'm there, I'm, I'm there. The creepy thing about about it was that your cell phones don't work. And that's kind of bliss during the daytime where you simply cannot be distracted by the internet or email or people text messaging you. But at night, <laughs> when it's just you by yourself, and like things are sort of like rustling and then, you know, you just start to spook yourself out so I got used to it eventually but those first two nights I'm like maybe I should go back to the dorm I don't know but <laughs> maybe yeah. I maybe I should get on Amazon and order a flare gun <laughs> order I'm sorry I didn't catch that part. a, a flare what? gun you know to <laughs> set up, send up a flare bad joke yeah. <laughs> no 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 I, mean, I, I thought about it I thought about it that was great well, we were we were a little sketchy about the details about what Shelter was about, but we do want to say that the reason we did that is because it's such a fabulous story. We didn't want to ruin any part of it. It's really a book you want to discover as you go. We highly recommend that you get yourself a copy and dig into the story. It's really great. Thank you so much for writing it and for taking the time to be with us today. Of course, it was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media or on our Goodreads group. And if you'd like to contact us directly, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.